Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, Like a Thief. It's based upon the lectionary readings for December 1st, 2019, the first Sunday of Advent. What images or symbols do you associate with Advent? Pink and purple candles? Cozy nativity scenes on soft-hued Hallmark cards? pull-tab calendars with chocolates tucked inside. What about a thief prowling outside your house, stealthy and silent? Your front door torn off its hinges, shattered glass in your foyer, and a stranger's footsteps on your stairs. What about your most prized possessions disappearing while you sleep? Do these images seem adventish to you? They don't to me. And yet, these are the images our Gospel reading for the first Sunday of Advent gives us. A homeowner caught off guard, a house that's been broken into, the Son of Man coming at an unexpected hour like a thief in the night. There's no way around it. These images are disturbing, maybe even terrifying. They don't jibe with the Jesus we think we know, the Jesus in the manger, the Jesus on the cross, the Jesus who feeds and forgives and heals and saves. The Jesus Matthew described in this apocalyptic passage is no respecter of boundaries. He's not invested in the status quo. He doesn't care about keeping us secure and comfortable, and he's not thwarted at all by our elaborate defense mechanisms. The Jesus Matthew describes as an invader, an intruder, a disruptor, a criminal. So here's a question for our new liturgical season. What should we do with the Son of Man who describes himself as a robber? How should we respond to a Jesus who shows up and takes things away from us, things we care about, things we depend on, things we're 100% sure we can't live without? Three possibilities. We should recognize that we're asleep. Jesus likens the coming of the Son of Man to the days of Noah's flood. Before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, Jesus says. They knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. It's so hard, so very, very hard to accept the fact that we're not awake, that we're missing profound spiritual realities because we're fast asleep in the ordinary and the mundane. We want to believe that the status quo will save us. We want to believe that business as usual will be good enough to keep us attuned to God. We want to pretend that Christianity will never require anything hard or costly of us. And yet the message of Advent is, wake up. The message of Matthew in our lectionary reading is, keep watch. The call of the season is to recognize that we're not paying attention to what really matters, to confess that we are alive and yet dangerously asleep. We should surrender our certainties. The implication of the thief in the night analogy is that Jesus isn't going to come in the guises we expect. If we think we have religion pinned down, if we think we know what revelation looks like, If we think we have Jesus all figured out, then we're in for an unpleasant surprise. If, on the other hand, we approach with our hands wide open, if we confess that we don't even know what to look for or where, if we empty ourselves of all preconceived notions of God and train our hearts to expect the unexpected, then we will be able to receive the real Jesus with joy when he appears. We should prepare to be robbed. During Advent, we are called to make room for the long-anticipated Christ, to prepare space for the beautiful new life that is coming. 
But how can we do this if we're already filled to the rafters? Maybe Jesus comes as a thief because we need to be robbed. Maybe Jesus breaks in because our valuables have become liabilities and we need an intruder to sweep in and take what we won't willingly give up. What are we clinging to that Jesus needs to steal? Our apathy? Our self-righteousness? Our fears? Our unforgiveness? It's no coincidence that Jesus comes when we're asleep and vulnerable. When else would we relinquish the false gods we cling to? How else would we cooperate with the deep work of God in our lives? In a sermon entitled The Face in the Sky, Frederick Buechner describes the Incarnation as a kind of scandal, one that requires us to ponder the shocking unpredictability of God. Those who believe in God can never in a way be sure of Him again, Buechner writes. Once they have seen Him in the stable, they can never be sure where He will appear, or to what lengths He will go, or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation He will descend in His wild pursuit of humankind. If holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, this birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound, but that holiness can be present there too. What are we to make of this? The God who is limitless chooses limits, one womb, one backwater town, one bygone century, one brief life, one agonizing death. The salvation we long for is not the salvation he brings. These are not easy or comfortable truths to accept. They're truths to wrestle with hard and long. In other words, if we're not at least slightly bewildered, we haven't been paying attention. I didn't grow up observing Advent. My childhood church didn't follow the liturgical calendar. So the holiday lineup I remember went straight from Thanksgiving turkeys and pumpkin pies to Christmas trees and jingle bells. One consumer feeding frenzy pressing hard into the next. But as I have moved deeper into the liturgical tradition, I've come to love the holy season we're now entering. I love that the church begins its new year when the days are still getting darker. I love that the season rejects shallow sentimentality and false cheer. And I love that the gospel gets us started with images that startled me out of my complacency. Not swaddling clothes, twinkly stars, and fleecy lambs, but Jesus as a relentless pursuer of my soul. Jesus as thief. American novelist Flannery O'Connor once wrote, To the heart of hearing you shout, and for the almost blind you draw large and startling figures. That's what precisely Jesus does in this prophetic wake-up call. He shouts, he draws startling figures, and he uses every rhetorical device at his disposal to snap his listeners to attention. Be on guard, he warns his disciples. Be alert. Stand up and raise your heads. Look. These aren't the saccharine, soothing invitations we like to accept as we shop for gifts, decorate Christmas trees, and sing carols. But the Episcopal priest, Fleming Rutledge, reminds us, Advent began in the dark. It is not a season for the faint of heart. Whether we like it or not, the invitations Advent offers us are hard-edged. They don't look pretty on greeting cards. But they are essential and life-giving nevertheless. They help us to prepare for birth that is almost at hand. They help us stay alert. They help us receive Jesus in all the shocking and scandalous ways he chooses to appear. For books this week, Beth Kawasaki reviews Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen by Jose Antonio Vargas. I do not know where I will be when you read this book. As I write this, a set of creased and folded paper sits on my desk, ten pages in all, issued to me by the Department of Homeland Security. 
Warrant for arrest of alien reads the top right corner of the first page. So, so starts Jose Antonio Vargas's best-selling memoir. Vargas, who Bill O'Reilly once described as the most famous illegal in America, is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, Emmy-nominated filmmaker, Tony-nominated producer, and founder of Define American, a nonprofit and cultural organization named one of the world's most innovative companies by Fast Company. According to the U.S. government, he's illegal. How does this happen? Most Americans, I, Vargas discovered, have no idea how the immigration system works, what the citizenship process requires, and how difficult, if not downright impossible, it is for undocumented people to get legal. All the while, undocumented workers like me pay billions, approximately $21 billion a year in payroll, Social Security, and Medicare into a government that detains and deports us. When he was 12 years old in 1993, the Filipino Jose, that's with no accent mark because American typewriters didn't have that key when the U.S. claimed the Philippines for its own in 1899, was sent to the U.S. by his mother. He lived with his parents, both naturalized U.S. citizens in Mountain View, California. Their home was less than two miles from a startup named Google and near Stanford University. But my family's from the other Mountain View, writes Vargas, which is part of the other Silicon Valley. At 16, Jose had driven to fit in and high-achieving student at Mountain View High School, bikes to the DMV to get his driver's permit, because that's what you do when you're 16 in America. He discovers that his green card is a fake. His head and his life explode. After confronting his self-sacrificing, patriotic, and now shamed grandparents, he learns that he didn't fly to America via his uncle, but with the coyote to whom they paid $4,500. An enormous amount for his Lolo, grandfather, who earned $5 an hour as a security guard. He also learns his future faces severe limits by U.S. law, and so he starts a new course of lying, passing, and hiding. Yet this is not a book about the politics of immigration. This is a book about homelessness. Vargas, who despite success and fame still lives a fragile life of an undocumented citizen, invites us deep into his displaced identity as an illegal teen, college student, employee, and human rights leader. He introduces us to the select group of supportive people he risks sharing his story with, and to those who oppose him for many different reasons. He reveals how he navigates a federal and local system set up to out, diminish, and deport him. We accompany him pre- and post-coming out as he chooses the path of radical transparency in his groundbreaking essay, My Life as an Undocumented Citizen, published in the New York Times Magazine in 2011 which is the same day Obama introduced DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. However one feels about immigration, one cannot help but admire Vargas's intelligence, resilience, contributions, and patriotism. He is thoroughly American, just not a citizen. Whatever one's politics, one cannot help but be baffled by the lack of long-range vision and commitment to all partisan problem-solving by those charged with doing so. As DACA, a program Vargas was ineligible for for about four by four months, lands in the Supreme Court as I write, I encourage readers to get educated. This book is a very worthy way, and I pray for wisdom, clarity, and kindness as nine people, descendants of immigrants, make decisions that will influence the future of 700,000 other immigrants who came to the United States as children. For films this week, Dan reviews... Echo in the Canyon. 
This 90-minute music documentary takes a nostalgic and rather uncritical look back at a special time and place in the emergent history of folk rock. The section of Los Angeles called Laurel Canyon, that was a countercultural ground zero for musicians, from about 1965 to 1967. Bob Dylan's son Jacob interviews a long and stellar list of key players who reflect on those bygone days of creative chemistry. The Mamas and the Papas, The Birds, Tom Petty, Ringo Starr, Eric Clapton, Brian Wilson, Graham Nash, Stephen Stills, Jackson Brown, and on and on. Back in the day, Laurel Canyon homes were the venues for legendary parties, impromptu jam sessions, and all manner of creative collaborations. The interviews with the luminaries were interspersed with archival footage and photos from that period. But is Brian Wilson really on par with Mozart, as Tom Petty suggests? This film opened the Los Angeles Film Festival. And lastly, for poetry on this first Sunday of Advent, Advent Calendar by Rowan Williams. He will come like last leaves fall. One night when the November wind has flayed the trees to bone, and earth wakes choking on the mold, the soft shrouds folding. He will come like frost. One morning when the shrinking earth opens on mist to find itself arrested in the net of alien, sword-set beauty. He will come like dark. One evening when the bursting red December sun draws up the sheet and penny masks its eye to yield the star-snowed fields of sky. He will come, will come, will come like crying in the night, like blood, like breaking, as the earth writhes to toss him free. He will come like child. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for December 1st, 2019. I'm Debbie Thomas.